Welcome back to Premier Sports Academy guest speaker series brought to you by Sportscraft Source for Sports. And we are live. Okay. Um, so uh, back again, guys, episode number seven. Um, again, for those of you watching this after the fact and not catching us live, we have 18 year professional hockey veteran and uh, former NHL. Um, was it six overall, Scotty? I think so, but who's counting? There you go. Six <laughs> overall draft pick. Uh, Scotty Upshaw joining us. Um, Scotty, I just want to say thanks for joining us today and taking the time out of your day and your schedule to do this. I know we're all uh, kind of quarantined anyway, but at the same time, everybody's staying busy. So really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. So, Ryan, I'll let you uh, kind of lead it off and you guys can uh, – get this conversation started on what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So I guess for some people tuning in, I mean, most people probably have an idea of you who you are, but uh, for those that don't just kind of give them a bit of your background, you know, what you did growing up playing sports and stuff like that. Uh, I grew up in Fort McMurray, Alberta uh, to, uh, uh, to a father from uh, Belle Island, Newfoundland and a mother from Belle Island, Newfoundland. Uh, I got one younger brother, Brent, who, uh, a lot like myself, was very active as a kid. He played baseball, uh, played hockey. Uh, we both played soccer growing up, both avid golfers. So um, uh, being outside, being athletes, right, kind of ran in our family. It was kind of what we did with our buddies growing up. And uh, I played competitive hockey my whole life. Um, as you well know, Ryan, we're, you know, we're close cousins. Um, I used to spend my summers either uh, driving in, you know, in a team bus to soccer events, baseball events, or uh, or hockey tournaments, and uh, uh, was fortunate enough to get a chance to play competitive my whole uh, my whole life, and um, and then go on to living a dream and playing in the NHL for uh, for an extended amount of time. And um, uh, now, recently, as of February first, retired. Um, so kind of hanging up the skates. I got them in the garage here. They're they're probably collecting a little bit of dust now, but uh, uh, pretty pretty content with the way things went. Um, very happy, very uh, uh, very you know satisfied. Feel like I left everything on the table, and uh, uh, it's been a great journey. And I'm happy to be here with you guys, chatting with you today. I love what you guys are doing. Awesome. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about your retirement. Uh, was that uh, bittersweet, I guess, to kind of make that decision? I mean, you said you left it all on the table and you feel like you, you gave it your last try. But is there part of you that was, you know, still had that edge that you wanted to keep competing? Yeah, that's the fire. Um, geez, I, I, if you were to ask people when they retire, what what do they, you know, what, what, what creates a decision? What, you know, what leads them down that path? For me, um, you know, my ultimate goal was to play in the NHL as long as I could try to win a Stanley Cup, try to create those moments that you dream about. And, uh, you know, I was able to live so many of those on a daily basis. I'd say some of the best times I had were, um, you know, traveling on the road, getting to play in, you know, the Montreal the Bell Center, you know, uh, Air Canada Center in Toronto in front of family and friends who who mark these dates on the calendar years in advance, um, you know, who travel, who, uh, 
who hit the road with with their families and and come and watch games and cheer you whether you're playing for the Florida Panthers against their hometown Toronto Maple Leafs or you're a, a Phoenix Coyote coming in to play the Calgary Flames and you got friends and family there it's uh, those moments after games where you, you get to come up in the stands and see the family or see friends those are those are some of the best times so um, you know that that goal as it ended for me with uh, you know a couple injuries in the last couple of years uh, forcing myself as an older guy to um, you know kind of leave it all out on the table to see if I can still make it was was uh, was something that that I wanted to work for that I, that I numerous hours of in the gym of rehabbing and stuff. Uh, when that came to an end, I decided to go over to Switzerland, which we can talk about shortly. And then, um, you know, I had a great experience over there this past winter. Uh, when that kind of came to an end, I decided, you know, it was best to maybe focus my attention on, on other things like talking on podcasts and, and video Skyping from, uh, from our quarantine houses right now. So we're, uh, <laughs> You know, this is where we are, and I'm very happy to uh, to have done the things that I've done. You talked about your rehab. Your last uh, your last injury was um, was a PCL and meniscus, or a PCL and MCL, uh, something like that. Uh, yeah, all these doctor terms and athletic terms <laughs> when it comes to injuries. I um, my recent injury, my knee injury, was uh, was something that had had uh, lingered for years and years. It was. Um, it was a two ligaments that I had tore when I was a, when I was uh, 22 years old. I was playing in Nashville as a younger player. Um, I tore my PCL, which is your uh, ligament that often people tear in car accidents. If you think of the hood of your car coming in and hitting your shin bone and pushing it backwards, it's the ligament that you know that stabilizes it front and back. So I tore that. I hit I hit Shane Doan when I was only 21, and he fell on the back of my leg, and I tore that muscle or that ligament. Uh, back in 2004, we didn't elect to fix those things. It was just a surgery no one really had ever done. You just rehabbed, you kept your legs strong, and you kind of got through it. Um, I ended up playing my whole career with it, with really a, just a, a, you know, a sliver, you know, this probably as thick as a, as a thread of floss, holding it on for, for the extended amount of my career. Um, down the stretch, my last year in St. Louis, I re-aggravated an MCL on the same knee, finished the year off um, that summer training uh, for, for uh, and, uh, Edmonton Oilers tryout. I ended up re-aggravating the knee uh, to the point where the ligament was just so loose that uh, two doctors recommended I fix it. Um, so I went on to fix the knee. It was a nine-month rehab. Uh, I was able to pass physicals. Um, this past August. So I put myself in a spot to go try out for another NHL team. I went to Dallas and uh, I gave everything I possibly had in the tank in my training camp in Dallas, made it, uh, you know, two weeks into camp. I think I got released um, with 30 players left. I thought I, I thought I could have maybe stuck around a little bit longer, scored a goal, felt great. I was skating as good as I had ever skated in years. And um, unfortunately, like a dream, uh, that many guys have as they get older kind of diminishes away. So um, I focused my attention on on playing overseas for a year and playing in the Spangler Cup for Team Canada, which was uh, something I always wanted to do. Um, anyone who's ever got to play for either baseball, Team Canada, or hockey, it's a world-class organization. And um, and we had a blast over there in Switzerland. So it was uh, kind of a long road, but that's where it led me. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, you talked about, you felt great, you know, you did your nine month rehab and you were kind of ready to go. And that's, that's not a first for you. I know you've had, you know, multiple injuries over your careers, your groins, your hand, things like that. Um, something we want to talk about and Noah and I talk about this often is with the sport of baseball. I mean, there's not a, it's not a good culture when it comes to game preparation and getting ready and the type of sport that baseball is, which is it's, you know, it's fairly quiet. There's a lot of inactivity and then you're expected to explode really quickly. And there's a lot of high impact injuries in baseball as a result of that. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, to, to our athletes and the people that are listening about the amount of work that needs to go into preparation and rehab and things like that to keep your body together so that you can continue to compete at a high level. Yeah, there's, there's so many different ways to look at this, this question. It's something that should be brought up to young athletes, to older athletes. Sure. There's some guys I play hockey with in the pro level who would come and just pour a coffee, have a hot pack, put a chew in and think that they're going to be ready to go because that's just how they do things. Now, there's so many different ways to look at that. One is, are you superstitious? And has that just worked for you in the past? But as you get older and your body starts to break down naturally uh, and you deal with injuries, you need to, you need to obviously be more serious. You need to be more, I, I like to just, I, I tell younger players who come in, I just, you, you got to be a good pro. Now, what is a good pro to you? That's, that's answering a question. Are you doing things that are going to make you better every day? Or are you just going, you know, going through the motions and just showing up, putting your skates on, going out, doing what you want to do, and then leaving? Being a good pro, you're contributing to the betterness of the team, of the culture. Uh, you're, you're a good listener. You're a good leader. Whatever you are, just be a pro. So, you know, for, for me, I learned at a young age that I was a better player being prepared, being, uh, doing maintenance on my body, doing maintenance after games. Um, you know, I, I was, I was fortunate enough. I, I worked with a guy that my dad, uh, introduced me to when I was younger. Um, his name was Gates Junro. He was a guy from, uh, uh, he worked with my dad. He was a uh, assistant coach for the for the junior hockey team I played with, and he used to work out after work all the time. And my dad was like, you know, at the time, like, hey, if you want to get serious with with hockey, I think you should probably put on a few pounds, and you know, this you should go work out with my buddy. So for, I would say for two summers in a row, I would uh, I would either leave the golf course what I was doing, or I would I would find the time that he was going to the gym. We used to go to this Gold's gym by our house and. I mean, we used to pack on weight and do bench press and do squats. And, and I learned what it took to work out. And this was at a young age. Uh, as I got older, I realized that it's not all about lifting crazy weights. It could be about just keeping your body loose, warm, working on speed, working on whatever you think you, um, you lack, you know, you, you lack there. And, and uh, for me, I was always had speed. I always needed to work on strength. I was, I was a skinnier kid growing up. Um, so for me, there was a little bit of balance. I was always fast, but I wanted to stay healthy. I was susceptible to injury because I was, because I was not, you know, as big, but, um, uh, as, as my career went on, I think being in, in physical shape, I was always the people call me the wily coyote because you could, well, I don't want to go into depth, but I'm all ribs and I won't, I won't say the rest, but, um, it was more of a, I felt fortunate in my body type, whether that's genetics, Sweeney, maybe we just got good genetics. Uh, but 
I was, um, I, I, you know, I worked hard at it. I, I stayed out a little bit at hockey or um, after practice, I would show up every Monday to workouts in the summer where some guys might, you know, say, ah, it's Monday. We had a long weekend. I'm just going to you know, I'll see you there Tuesday. Um, yeah, I always treated it with, with respect because you have to, the moment you lack the respect in your game is the moment things kind of, kind of fall. So I might be blabbing on about things, but ultimately it, it's a big part of being a pro is, is, is maintenance is good nutrition is having a good group around you. Like you guys at premier sports Academy being, being guys that these kids can bounce ideas off of young professionals can bounce their ideas off of and their experiences like we're doing. Um, but ultimately I think to be the best pro possible, you just have to surround yourself with good people and, and you gotta be a good listener and you have to, uh, if it's something you really want, you gotta, you'll be a full rounded, you know, athlete about it. And I guess, you know, leading in the second part of that is, you know, talked a bit about the preparation. Um, a little bit on the rehabilitation side. I mean, I, I remember with your, your last injury, we had spoken. That one kind of choked you pretty good at the end there. Can you talk a little bit about just what that's like to go through mentally and emotionally to pick yourself back up and to put in that work to get ready to, you know, compete again? Yeah, there was there's some injuries that stung a little more than others. Um, you know, I've had, I think I've had nine or ten surgeries now with pretty serious ones. I would say the the... The latest, the one on the knee, the reconstruction of the knee was probably the longest rehab and probably the one the most difficult to deal with, mostly because I was, I would put myself in a great position to make my, my hometown Edmonton Oiler Hockey Club at, at an age where I knew I didn't have much years left to play in front of my family and my nieces, um, to live in, you know, my, my province of Alberta to play hockey there would have been great to play hockey with Connor McDavid, that's you know, best athlete ever to, you know, come through our game in, in decades would have been, would have been a dream come true. So that, that was a tough pill to swallow. Um, you know, I, I think the, uh, the, the, the emotions you go through when you get hurt as an athlete are something that no one really understands. It's, it's, um, you're witnessing a setback for you in your career or in your path to just enjoying the sport, you know, whether you're young and, or you're, you're playing hockey with your buddies after work. Um, anytime you have to sit out and you have to watch the game being played and you can't participate, there's, there's crazy amounts of emotions. Now, again, this is where I come to saying you need a good a team around you, whether it's your family, whether it's friends, being a strong, like having a strong mental mind is, is important. And I, I, we all deal with ups and downs and ebb and flows of our daily lives. And, um, you know, being open and talking and, and if you are someone, uh, that's, that struggles with it, you, you, you know, feel free to, to ask questions, feel free to, you know, to, to be able to share, I'm not having a great day. I, this is tough for me to get up and work hard. You know, my knee is so sore today. I'm struggling, you know, and, and you'll, you'll get through it. You'll get through it through experiences, through talk, through listening to podcasts like this, hearing guys go through these, you know, my injuries, they, they were never life threatening, but you know, they put me in crossroads of saying, you know, all right, am I going to just pack it in? Cause I could have many times, you know, or if I didn't give 
every ounce of sweat and blood that I that I could possibly give to the rehab itself, I wouldn't have been able to play as long as I did. There was, I'd say every three or four years, I dealt with something that either happened uh, uncontrollably, like a like a block shot on my hand or a broken thumb, um, or, you know, in game seven of the first round against uh, playing in St. Louis in 2016, I, I hit a guy behind the net in game seven, second period, and my thumb just explodes. And I'm for we played till the conference finals. So for two months, I just had a cast pretty much taped on my hand, electing to have surgery in the summer, just solely to play. Now that's I could have, you know, anyone in that situation would play, chasing for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, there's there's you gain strength and emotion and 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 adrenaline and all these experiences. Oh, I got my ear pods falling out. Um, but at at any time, these things to face a you know face um, you know adversity and and rise to the challenge and and it's something uh, every every person it makes you stronger. It gives you a sense of uh, you know passion and you feel good about yourself if you can kind of go and attack the situation itself. And, and I used to take pride in it. it was, any doubters or any situations where, you know, you felt like you were getting the short end of the stick. If you can battle through an injury and come back and play uh, what you do at a high level, you know, you're, you're showing yourself and everyone a lot. So. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really important point. We've talked about it with, you know, our last six guests who are all baseball guys and how a sport like baseball in particular is just an adversity sport, a sport of failure. And then you talked again about the injuries. I remember, I think I was maybe a year or two behind you actually, when I had my ACL surgery just after you had had yours and I called you and I said, Hey, you know, what do I need to do? And I remember you saying at that time, just like treat it like a job is the advice you had given to me. And I remember I said, okay, treat it like a job. I took three months off work. I did physio three times a week, chiropractor massage, went to the gym. I did that for three months and, and, that, that process, I remember how rewarding it was after the process, you know, okay, like, yeah, putting in that work and, and the what you talked about is facing down that adversity and what you get, and, you know, in return and doing that. I think yeah. it's really important for people to understand, you know, just the, the, the benefits of those positive mindsets and actually challenge yourself and, you know, rising to that occasion. Um, to shift gears just a little bit, we'll, we'll kind of touch back on the hockey. Um, there's, I want to go, you know, way back in your past, uh, your, your, probably your first tournament where you got exposure, which was the Wee tournament in Quebec. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it was like playing in a tournament like that at, at such a young age? Yeah. Yeah. Geez. Um, we were, we were a group of, you know, these kids from Fort McMurray, a lot like, you know, kids from small town Newfoundland. It's there's no difference. We were outsiders. We we used to have to travel so far to play competitive hockey. And um, I remember our team kind of came together at the beginning of, year, of the year and said, "We're gonna we're gonna sign this petition. We're gonna get the whole city to sign this petition to allow us to go to this Pee Wee Quebec tournament." We all had no idea what the hell this was. And sure enough, lo and behold. Um, we do bottle drives. We raise a bunch of money. We sh- we send in a video and and we get uh, we get a ticket pulled out of a hat and they invite us to this tournament as part of uh, as an invitation only. And so 23 kids, all 12, 13 years old, we we pile on you know a couple WestJet flights. We head over. 
we stay with billet families and we uh, go in to attack this tournament. We play like the Dallas stars. We played the New York Islanders. We played so these, these NHL teams represented by, um, you know, a good team in their, in their respected cities would, would play us. We're just a small town, you know, 40,000 people group of kids. Now we were damn good at hockey, but we, you know, we, we weren't expected to do anything. And the, the way the tournament had worked, if you win one game, you get to continue on and you play all the games in the big Colisee, the Quebec Colisee, where the Nordiques played. Um, for those kids listening, the Quebec Nordiques were an NHL team before they moved to, to Colorado. <laughs> and uh, so, so we went in, we won the first game. I think we played this game at seven in the morning. Like the place was empty. This, like you could, you could hear the sticks on the ice. You'd hear everything. Uh, and we went on to not only win the first game, but the second game, the third game. And we played six games in a row. We won all, we won every one. Um, I, I can't remember really having any close, close games. I think we did well the whole tournament. And then come the final game, we play a team from Quebec. The place is packed, 16,000 people. And uh, we have no fans in the building, just our parents and our billets. And we end up beating this team 4-3 um in like a tight tight game the whole the whole thing uh we win the championship and you know we back this banner that still ha uh, hangs in thickwood heights arena to this day um with our names and everything and this is now this is probably 27 years ago 26 years ago so an incredible experience for me one of the first things i'd ever got uh, a taste of hockey and taste of international hockey at a young age obviously at 12 you don't even you can hardly tie your shoes at the time. So, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty special. And uh, I scored one goal in the whole tournament, which was the champion, which was the, the game championship deciding goal four three. I scored, I scored a one-timer goal. My uh, buddy, Mike Mellon passed me the puck. I one-timed it from the hash marks in. And uh, I was an underage kid at the time. It was an incredible experience because we won that year. We got to go back a second year. Uh, we didn't quite win the, the next time we lost in the second game, but uh, nonetheless, incredible experience. So, so, I'm gonna, so if I can recall this now, after all the hockey I've played, you know that it had a lasting, uh, you know, a lasting memory with me. Definitely. And I mean, a lot of people talk about they know a moment in time that they wanted to do something. Was that kind of a moment in time where you said to yourself, like, I, I want to play hockey? I mean, can you can you pin it yeah. down to something like that? or You know what? I that's such a good question. I would say there was more moments um, where I just felt like I belonged out on the ice. Like it was not, it wasn't like I belong in these big games or winning tournaments. It was more like whether, whether it's just, I was putting on skates to go skate around the, the, you know, the sheet in the backyard, or if I was riding a bike in the middle of winter down to my buddy's house, which is 20 minutes away. Cause he had a cool backyard rink. Or I was just like calling my, waking my parents up in the morning to like say, guys, you guys are sleeping in. Let's go. Like, I need you to drop me off at the rain where like some kids might need their parents to wake them up. You know, I was a little bit different. I, I was always, um, I felt like, um, I felt like it was where I belonged and where I wanted to be. And uh, I guess that passion is something that if, if at 36, you still kind of have that passion to kind of be in those moments or, or to be around the team and the game, then uh, something, something must have ticked back in the day. Yeah, and I guess transition on, probably one of the next 
uh, big, you know, hockey experiences would have been when you played with the Oil Barons and playing in the was the Royal Bank Cup at the time. Yeah, Is that what it was called. Yeah, yeah, was? yeah. We just had our twenty year. Uh, I I didn't make it, but our twenty year anniversary uh, of our championship that year, the the RBC for the for those who don't know is is a tier two Canadian Junior Hockey Championship, and it's uh, played every year in May. Um, besides this year, damn coronavirus, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a tournament that we hosted. Fort McMurray hosted it. I was a I was a 16 year old eligible junior player that year. I could have um, I had an opportunity to go to to the WHL. Um, numerous people in my hometown in Fort McMurray wanted me to stay and compete in this tournament that we were hosting, and and that that was ultimately what I did. We had an incredible team. We broke records for wins, goals scored. Uh, we marched through the playoffs. Um, and then we went into the Royal Bank Cup and we, we ended up winning the whole thing at home, which, which set me on a If you were to talk about the path um, and when things started to kind of elevate and take off for me in a competitive fashion, that, that, that experience playing in a, in, a, in a culture of you know Canada's best junior hockey players, I was able to elevate my game, game by game. I was, I was rising to these occasions. And I think that's when you're younger and, and games become important and more, more eyes start to watch them. Um, it's, it's who you see elevate their game and, and who can bring uh, their, just their talent to another level. Um, those are the, those are the, the, the breeds that, um, you know, you obviously they have a gift or they're the something they did when they were younger got them to the to this point where they felt like, OK, now I'm now this is competitive. Now I can step up. Now I can be the guy. Um, you know, back then, that was all you had. You didn't have academies. You didn't have anything. You, you stepped up when you had to in these big moments uh, uh, and you prepped with just practice with your friends. And and uh, that that was probably where things started to. Uh, to take off for me yeah and then you you left there and you played was it two years uh with Kamloops after that I went in and played the three years uh two, two years with Kamloops until uh um I got drafted after my second year and then I I started the, that year up in the NHL for I played nine games and I got sent back to junior for my third year which was uh the year Halifax World Juniors um, which was my at the time was my second world junior championship, but um, that that was another moment. You talk about moments in your young career that you that you never forget. Uh, playing in you know Team Canada World Juniors in Canada, in front of my family on the East Coast, uh, being the the team captain. Um, we lost the the gold medal game by one goal to Russia, but the you know, every experience that that. That, that that had for for me was was uh was strengthening was was powerful and 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 man like i got to watch a video on nhl network here in the united states like probably two months ago they had it on uh our our championship game and it's like you, you just see these like a vetchkin played in the game and it was you know it was uh me and and dr lupul and you know you you, you go down the list of guys you know uh, uh, Flurry was our goalie. Um, we just had an incredible group of guys, and it's it just those moments you always remember. That's we, 
you have those, you earn those moments and, and uh, no one can kind of take them away. It's cool. No. And so, I mean, just to, to kind of jump from there now. So I, I want to take that to uh, the Spangler that you just played in recently. Um, was that a strategic move on your part to kind of, to, you know, you obviously talked about looking to play in Europe to see if you could get another contract. Uh, in the NHL, but ultimately making the decision that you were going to kind of finish your career with a with a Spangler and, and kind of yeah, hang up yeah. the skates after donning the C one last, or, you know, the Team Canada jersey one last time. Yeah, it was. It was strategic. I don't know if it was as strategic as it was uh, just, you know, it was the next thing that I hadn't done. I hadn't won a championship for Team Canada, um, especially at an age where, you know, I got a world, I got a one world championship during my career where I was in Phoenix. Uh, I got to go to Switzerland and we played in the world Championships. I lost to Russia by a goal there. So the Russians had, uh, had beat me three times in finals, which that stings a little bit. Uh, if you can only imagine. And, uh, the Spengler cup is, it's a tournament in Davos, Switzerland, every Christmas. Uh, it's on the same time as world juniors back home. Uh, many people probably have no idea what it is, but it's a little hockey festival that's been around almost a hundred years. And the host city gets to invite teams. Now there's, there's six teams in the tournament. Uh, they invite one Russian team, a team from Czech, one team from Finland. Um, and then team Canada goes every year and then they bring two teams from Switzerland. So it becomes this whole uh, hockey festival, a lot like any sort of festival, a music festival, whatever. Uh, there's two outdoor rinks. It's right in the mountains. There's chairlifts everywhere. There's really cool hotels. And uh, there's two games a day, one in the afternoon, one at night. Um, the final game being on New Year's Eve. And uh, uh, we went in, you know, so so after I got released from Dallas, this this training camp, uh, I sat around my place here in California for a couple months, not about a month. Um, I got some calls from some teams over there, nothing that piqued interest. Um, and then Sean Burke, the GM for Canada, ha had reached out. He and I have been close buddies from my days playing. Yeah, he was our general manager, and he asked, you know, am I interested in in a playing for Team Canada, which I was entirely. I made that clear to him immediately and then he he's like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna try to find a spot for you to play um that'll release you to play for us at, at the spengler cup which is important because some teams they, they it needs to work out now if you play in switzerland the the whole country shuts down for this festival and you can go play but if i was to go take a job in germany or sweden or anywhere i would have had to get released so that following week he called back and said um you know, a team called, they're looking for, for a guy, uh, for two months and it worked, the dates worked perfect. Um, so I went over, I played in a little town in, uh, Ombre, um, this little misfit town up in the mountains. It was it, with some of the craziest fans, uh, this epic experience, which we can talk about after, but got to go to the Spengler cup, compete for Canada. We ended up winning the whole tournament. Uh, crushing Bud Lights and well, most Canadians after the game with all the boys putting it on Instagram, showing like that it's just as cool at 36 years old as it would have been at 18 years old. It's, it's still uh, winning is winning and being like cherishing those moments with, with guys and enjoying them are, are that, that doesn't matter how old you are. So that was, that was pretty cool. 
Yeah, and, yeah. and the stay on the topic of uh, of playing in, in Europe, playing in Switzerland, um, we had uh, Kyle Orr on yesterday. He played a little bit of baseball in France, and we were talking about how some people's path to the top level of sport, it, it doesn't need to be linear. So some guys get put down that they don't play in the queue or they don't play Division One baseball or they don't get drafted out of high school. I think just from your perspective, I mean, you probably know lots of guys that, that played in Europe and even in yourself. The, you know, you can play in different places, and you, if you're still playing competitive, you can get that look that can eventually get you to where you want to go, right? Yeah, yeah. I think what some people don't realize is that there's, yeah, we all have a goal, most of us. We all have direction um, basically on watching TV as a kid and buying a jersey of your favorite player and having – you know, moments where you're shooting a basketball and you're yelling, you know, Kobe or you're, you know, you're scoring goals and it's Sidney Crosby or, or whatever. So so the NHL or the MLB or the NBA, all these are, are the ultimate goals. Now, we all be, let's be realists. It's it, it happens to very, very few. Um, and there's so many kids that are great and that deal with numerous things that get in the way. Uh, of of achieving this goal now fortunately enough in a lot of these sports there are there are different avenues and different paths that people can take i've been in the nhl with some guys who never were drafted in the whl or the nhl and they started in the east coast hockey league and they came up to the ahl they became an all-star for the first time ever in the ahl and then all of a sudden an nhl team picks them up and by 25 they're completely you know veteran nhl players playing for another 10 years. Uh, that's one of my buddies, Vern Fiddler. That was his path, which, which you give him credit. One of the hardest working guys ever, but it, it just putting truth to the meaning that it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're a good player at 16 or 17 years old. Um, now hockey in Europe is, is not very televised over here. We, we focus our attention on the NHL and that's all that's broadcast in Europe. They have, uh, the, the people that want to watch their stars in Canada will, or in the U.S., they will. But it is its own world over there. There's the there's leagues in, there's three leagues in Sweden. There's three leagues in Switzerland. There's, there's Germany, Russia. Now, I would never go to Russia because they got my gold medals. But I was going to go <laughs> anywhere else. And uh, Switzerland is 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 a is a country and is a place, the league, you sleep in your bed every night. The, the bus rides on the day of games are three, you know, it could be three to four hours, but, but you're playing in beautiful arenas. Uh, everyone speaks English. Um, the guys are great hockey players. They have, you know, that for me, they all looked up to me as an NHL player coming over to play, but, but it, it was an avenue. And some, some NHL players go to Switzerland at a young age. Some, some guys might get a kick at the can in the NHL play a couple of years. And then, realize that you know what i'd rather have a great cultural experience and raise kids or bring my girlfriend over to you know sweden or switzerland and and experience life over there and and you know whether the money's great or it's not uh you get an experience playing a game in a in a in a beautiful place and you get to meet people you if you're smart you might learn a new language i definitely didn't but i i learned i learned different kinds of wine <laughs> Thank you, thankfully. Um, and uh, you, you just, yeah, I got to enjoy it. And to a lot of kids, I would say, 
you know, if things don't work out over here, did, you know, baseball, I know baseball has a lot of leagues, you know, whether it's over in Asia or where, wherever, there's different leagues, there's different avenues. Um, explore them all. It could be something that you'd really enjoy. And, and I, I got to, I get to have a blast at, at that point in my career. It was great. Yeah, you uh, spoke about uh, Fiddler taking that route, and you, you know you credited him him as one of the most you know hardworking guys that you played with. That's a point that we've been trying to bring up this last week with our, all of our guests that are on the situation that everybody is in right now. You know, kind of quarantine, stuck at home, um, and we just want to talk about like you know the athletes that are playing at the next level. It's it's the work that they put in behind the scenes, and you would attest to that, I'm sure, that gets them to where they are. It's not what you see them do at the practice rink or on the field, right? It's it's what you're doing behind the scenes. Can you talk a little bit, you know, some of our athletes that are listening, what they can be doing right now with this time to make sure they're prepared to when they can get back on the field or the rink or, or, or whatever sport they play? Yeah, this is a – we all find ourselves right now in such a unique um, and unfortunate situation now like in anything like in let's just use a, a game for an example because a lot of athletes we can resort life experiences through through our game now we're kind of getting the short end of the stick here as a as a culture and a society now how, how do you make the best of it if you if you start a game and um your best player can't make it because he's sick you know and you're down two nothing are you just going to forfeit the game or are you going to try to make the best of this experience moving forward maybe you can learn a little bit from it there's always a chance you can come back um it gives other players opportunities to step up um so in in a moment like like this that you know we're we're talking over podcasts where we could you usually all sit in the same room in any given situation but um you know kids aren't able to go play out in the fields with their with their buddies they're not able to show up to their academies they're missing games they're not able to watch their favorite players on tv what could they do? I mean, I would picture myself right now, um, you know, I would watch, I, I thought about this, but I was watching, you know, old, uh, all that's playing on ESPN and I'm sure TSN are old games. And, and I, so reliving moments that you, you've remembered watching as a kid that you always made and how that made you feel. I think like, you know, you can access all these on YouTube right now so if you're a kid and you liked what the toronto blue jays did back in the 90s or the run they went on a couple years ago um you know this is all stuff that's accessible and and those moments are moments that you can witnessing them you can kind of like live them live these live these positive experience or negative ones you know it's it's all learnings from it and i think um i think just trying to put yourself in positions you know uh, l- learning a little bit more, whether I, I, I'm not a big reader, but, um, you know, there's people out there who, um, who believe in, you know, learning from people, the Bill Belichick's of the world studies, all, all these stuff, Tom Brady, like the, the success of guys like that, whether, you know, you can nerd out and dive into some, some, you know, really good athletes who have great stories to tell. I think that that's one way to knock off a few days of, of being bored. Um, I think if you've, if you've dealt with nagging injuries, this is a great time to focus on that and try to, you know, try to prepare yourself to when things get going again, to being, to being smarter about, uh, you know, rehabbing or, 
preparation. We talked about this before, but baseball, it's a lot like any sport. You need to, uh, you can't just show up and play. You, you can't just throw your baseball glove and your, and your bat on the field and think like, this is going to be all good. Um, you know, focus on what's going to make you a better, a better pro, a better person day by day, reach out to people, reach out to your buddies, keep, keep relationships strong. I think that that's, um, you know, if, if you're on a team right now or you're, or you're looking forward, like, you know, keep in touch with these people. It's, it's, it's crucial. I think, and this gives us all a chance right now to, to catch up with people that we've lost touch with or, um, you know, or that you've, you've kind of held a grudge with. I think that's a great time right now to get over things like that. And <laughs> little things like that to make you a more rounded person to adapt to any situation you find yourself in. Um, you know, just just uh, is spending time with family. If you're if you're in and around your family, man, it's if you're an athlete and you move away at a young age, you're you know you're not, these moments that you're with your family, you might one day be like, shit, remember that time we we're stuck with each other for three four months? Like, whatever the case be, those might be moments that you miss. So you know, just stay positive and and uh, just be a well-rounded individual. Yeah, I guess staying on the the topic, you know, just transition a little bit from from sports and and this uh, subject is, uh, you know, you've you know you're kind of famous for uh, being the music guy, being the glue guy with your teams, and and obviously music is a big big part of our family with with uh, Nan Joan, uh, you know, kind of being that she was the glue the glue person in our family as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you know sports means to you and 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 your uh, or music means to your sports rather you know kind of how you use music whether to get you amped up for games or to help you decompress after playing sports i think a lot of people don't talk about the importance of music but it, it, it can play a significant role it can it can it's um i find geez man i find peace in a lot of things i do but music is is something that's in it's in the blood okay it it, it, it it might sound weird, but I think you and I both know that um, you hear songs or you you show up to watch live music, whether it's at a bar or in someone's basement or at a concert at the Staples Center in front of twenty five thousand people. Um, it does it does something for you. And for me, hockey, I, I used to sometimes I'd have the best time like being on the bench and a good song would come on like in between like a whistle. And I just like look down at one of the boys and I, you know, you just get like, you're fired up and you're kind of like, I've been waiting for this song to come on. Like it's about time or, or just, you know, a winning song, like what the St. Louis blues went through this year, like play Gloria, like something that had no impact on anything ever. And then all of a sudden it is what the city built themselves around was one song, you know, and what it did to kids now for the rest of their life when they hear that song, it's, um, you know, you and I are fortunate to have music in our blood. Our, our Nan was something special. I have her harmonica over here, um, that she gave me before she passed. Um, and you know, I always, if, if I wasn't able to play an instrument, there would be something wrong with that. I think she, that was the message she used to give me. Like, what are you doing with your time? Like, what, what do you even do? I'm like, well, I am a pro athlete. She's like, yeah, well, you can't like figure out how to play guitar and like sing songs. Like you're, you're supposed to do that. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. So anyway, I was playing a song today and learning a new tune on my guitar. Um, Cigarettes and Daydreams by KG Elephant. 
sick tune, nice. uh, four or five chords, but just gives me something to do when I'm, you know, bored in the house and you know, make a coffee, try to learn a new song every couple of days. It's kind of where I've been going lately. So uh, you're one hell of a guitarist. How's, uh, how's oh, thank you? Been? Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, are we going to get you to play ago. a song on this, on this podcast? <laughs> no, we definitely won't do that. It, it's definitely sat idle for the last few months, but the last few I days. Know, the baby girl, that's what happens. Yeah, for sure. certainly been out a lot. Um, I'm just, you know, I think we've kind of taken over the conversation a bit. Noah, do you kind of want to jump in and just, I know you probably got a few questions you want to ask, Sadi. Yeah, no, it's you sick beard following. you got there, Noah, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's going to be a lot longer. Uh, we'll, we'll find out how long it gets after this uh, quarantine is up. But yeah, no, I think uh, the main thing is, is um, the thing I wanted to ask was how much during this time do we have to do, again, you've got that athletic athlete in you you've got that competitive spirit in you um, all of our athletes that train at PSA have that competitive spirit and right now we're kind of at a standstill where we're almost there's nobody to compete against so how much is it self-discovery and finding ways to kind of one-up what you're doing again whether it's in the weight room whether it's just push-ups whether it's throwing the ball against the wall how many times can you catch it whether it's shooting the puck against the garage door how much totally. discovery should we be doing um, in this time, especially for our younger athletes, because I think that's one thing that kind of gets overlooked when we talk about mentality. Yeah, I'm sure you've set your your students up on a pretty good path. Uh, you know, talking with you guys the last few days, um, getting to see your operation. Uh, I don't think there's any question that there's there's access to videos, to to train, to tutorials on your guys's end and on all ends of the spectrum. Let's be honest, YouTube. There's more stick handling videos on YouTube right now uh, of little kids doing things that I could never, ever do. And I played hockey my whole life. That th th This is a moment where, you know, you just zone out with your, with, you know, with your iPad on or sorry, with your headphones on and just go out and whether, you know, whether it's baseball and you're, I just, I, I look at ho hockey, you can do things by yourself. There's things you can work on. You can shoot on your net. Baseball, you know, you can, uh, you can work on your lungs, you can work on your training, you can work on your thing. As far as like your fundamentals, that that's I'm leaving you guys up to that with with your with your students. But there's a moment, uh, there's going to be moments here where, you know, some kids might feel like, I got nothing to do today. I'm gonna sit on the couch and play video games. Now, if that's great, if you want to be a pro video gamer, um, you know, but there's going to be there's gonna be times where you're going to get a competitive advantage on other kids. If you take two hours a day to do something that you didn't do yesterday or that you have struggled with in the past that you can access. Now, if I was them, I would be reaching out to you guys saying like, listen, you know, I need to focus on, um, you know, my curveball. It was, it was terrible last week. And, you know, and yeah, you know, I feel like that will put me at, at a better advantage, you know? So bouncing ideas off off your teachers off your coaches you know they're they're sitting at home too doing nothing right now so they they would love to hear from you know ask there's never bad questions either when it comes to um you know you might sit around a huddle and watch you know i got a piece of paper here but the coach might be like hey so you know doing practice like here this is what we're going to do this is what we're going to do it never hurts to be the the, the kid in the front you know, actually looking up and not paying attention, not laughing at your buddies or showing something or, you know, around, but actually paying attention. Sometimes I would space out a lot too, especially as I got older. 
But when I was younger, I made I made an effort to be the you know to be the guy in the front to ask a question, whether it was absolutely from left field or not. There's really no bad questions. It helps everyone out because guaranteed there's one other kid in that little huddle that is wondering the same thing. So, um, you know, asking questions, uh, showing that you want to be better. I think that it's a it's it's an attitude, and if you do work on your attitude i think these skills and the talent it all kind of follows suit it all becomes like a rounded um you know a rounded kind of uh talent you know so yeah and uh so we actually had a question come in from uh greg who's watching us right now um he wanted to know uh growing up what did you play besides hockey so were you a multi-sport guy or was it just hockey pretty much from when you were the age of like eight years old all the way up through or did you play soccer baseball lacrosse anything like that i played i played uh competitive soccer since uh, soccer was probably my very first team sport i played it probably when i was four uh and and loved it i had great all, all my closest buddies were soccer buddies um I was really good at it. Uh, we got to the point when I was younger that, you know, my soccer coach in the winter would be like, all right, we're going to start to travel. Like we need, we need you to make a decision on this or hockey. And, and ultimately hockey took over, thankfully. <laughs> um, so, so I played competitive soccer in school. I was, a, I was always a, a crazy athlete in my class. So I used to play competitive volleyball. I could never play basketball. The Sweeney's would kick my ass when I used to try to play <laughs> basketball with them in the summer. I couldn't dribble. I still can't dribble. I got a basketball net outside my house. It's it's embarrassing. Um, so I played tennis. Uh, I was competitive with tennis. My good buddy Dustin back home. We used to meet on the tennis court and play all the time. I played competitive baseball for two years uh, on our travel team, and uh, I was a starting shortstop. I was I was na natural at it at, at everything except I would I could not hit the baseball when the game was on the line. <laughs> I got caught looking in two big games, and I'm like it, it haunted me forever. And ultimately, I was thankfully that I could occupy my time playing golf in the summer when baseball still stayed on because I was like, you know what, golf to me is is I, I want to be a hockey player and a golfer. That was my that 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 ultimately became my passion, um, and. Uh, and I was able to do that, not think about the baseball failure because there was other things to focus on. So uh, at age eight, I started golfing. Um, me and my, my dad used to bring me on the golf course with him. I'm a, I was a lefty, so I had a little set of lefty clubs. I got a, a random fact, but I got a hole in one when I was nine years old on the same hole that my dad and my brother might have got a hole in one on. Or no, I think it's just my dad, but anyway. My dad, 20 years later, got this, got a hole in one on the same hole. And I want to say my brother, I want to say Brent did too. Shit, I can't remember right now. But anyway, um, so, so golf, um, I was, I was to answer uh, the gentleman's question. Yes, I, I was a well-rounded athlete. I think that's important in all facets of being athletes nowadays. If, if this was where the question was going to lead, it should. Yeah. Uh, baseball academies need to have uh emphasis on these kids doing all sports not just baseball 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 if you ask connor mcdavid what he did as a kid i guarantee you he says he did a lot more than just play hockey if you ask anyone else you need to be a well-rounded athlete 
or you're going to be so one dimensional that it'll be the only thing you ever know. And you'll be this weird robot type of person. And I feel like that's not your you full potential as a, as a, as an athlete or as a human being. So, um, so anyway, that's my, yeah. Oh, you definitely answered it because yeah, that was the second part of his question there. Just uh, kind of how valuable it is kind of being multi-sport and being an athlete growing up and being kind of just, again, relating back to just being a kid and enjoying yourself and developing those good movements. So down the line, whatever sport you choose, wherever you may go, whether it's professional, whether it's sticking to just amateur baseball in the senior league and having fun with it. Right. So um, we yeah. have a question come in. Um, so, uh, Leon wants to know which coach had the greatest influence on you? Uh, well, I've had great coaches and like everyone in pro sport or in sports, I had coaches that you don't see eye to eye with, and you're not going to like every coach or every teammate that you ever play with. It's just the way the world works. So, um, when I was younger, I mean, I was, my dad was was a hockey player growing up. He was a, he was also um, a soccer coach to me and my brother and to all of our friends. My dad was very very influential on me as a kid um, uh, because he he was he was younger. He he had me at a young age. He had me at twenty one. Um, he had time for us as kids, although he worked, uh, you know, he worked a job. He was, he was able to allow us to be outside, to play sports, to, uh, to get new shocker shoes and new hockey skates. So, uh, as a mentor and as a coach, my dad at a young age was, was very influential as a, as a pro, um, as a professional, I would say, uh, geez, I've had tons of, of great, mentors and and coaches um you know john stevens was was uh, a guy in philadelphia that we had we had a very young team and uh before my ipad dies i'm going to keep talking but i'm going to get my charger um he he had a young we had a great young team that needed a good coach to allow us um to like bring out the best in us and he was a guy that allowed us to to enjoy hockey because it is an enjoyable sport, especially at a at a at a level where you're, um, where you play 82 games and you get to travel around. You have you know your you, whether you're making money. You need to enjoy. We're gonna switch it up here, boys. You need to enjoy playing the game. Sorry. So he was. Um, yeah. I'll you guys right here. How's that? <laughs> oh, what the hell is that? Okay. Um, so John Stevens was was a great coach with the with the group of guys we had, and we made it to the conference final. He went on to coach the. Um, he got released the year they went to the to the finals and lost to Chicago. But anyway, uh, Ken Hitchcock was a guy. Not many people would tell you this, but he was he he, the way he approached the game. Not everyone liked. I didn't like it. Um, sometimes I hated the way we played, but man, it it allowed you to win. It like it was like boring at times, and it was hard. It, it was physical. It was like demanding on your body, especially as a guy that uh, he he wanted us to play physical. Me personally, he wanted to play physical all the time, um, but it worked, and we were great. We 
he once made it to the Stanley Cup Finals one year. He's he's won a cup. He's done things with he's he's overachieved with teams that that he shouldn't have. And then he, you know, and, and anyway, he just approaches the game and people love to learn from him and he's a uh he's he's one of the best hockey minds there is. Um man, a pain in the ass sometimes. And then uh geez, yeah, so coaches i mean barry trotz is a coach i wish i was older when i played for him because he was he was a little bit harder on me but now looking back at the way i i was as a younger guy i, I could see why he was the way he was um but he's you know he, he again he wins games he he knows how to win so so I, I mean i've had a lot of a lot of good coaches i can say that yeah for sure Definitely. And I hope that answers your question there, Leon. And uh, yeah, so no, and it's, it's invaluable too, because you are going to have coaches. And I think you just hit the nail on the head there when you said uh, playing for Barry Trotz at a young age, you wish you had him when you were older. So I think, again, a message for our athletes to kind of, uh, no matter who's coaching you, and I'll always say this to our athletes that come into Premier Sports Academy, but again, take something away from each coach and down the line, you're going to really appreciate how they affect your career, whether it's like, I, like I said before, it's kind of, whether it's getting you to the next level or it's something down the line that teaches you something so that when you move into the workforce, that's a skill or an asset that you have that you can actually lend to whatever organization you're with. Right. So, so yeah, and I guess, sorry, go ahead now. No, you can go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say if, you, if there's any more questions on the line, but if not, I was just going to say, what does, what does life after hockey look like for Scotty? Um, right now it's, it's, well, we're, we're in a little funk right now and by we, I mean everyone, uh, but I was looking forward to, uh, this, this, the, the extension of the playoff of, of the NHL season. When I got back, um, when I got back, I focused my attention on, on a few experiences with hockey and with media staying relevant with, with the game, um, you know, I, I love what you guys are doing. I think that that's a great a great tool for for kids. It's uh, it's a great tool for for families to have access to. Um, you know, down here in California, there's uh, uh, there was one academy called the West Coast Academy just opened up with uh, Kevin Bieska did it. Um, so he did it at the new Anaheim Ducks practice arena, which is just finished this summer. Uh, Thank God it finished 10 years too late because I I was skating in the shittiest arena here in Anaheim for the past like 10 years while I while I've lived here. And now they got this beautiful facility. So he he has two groups of kids. Um uh so I I just want to stay around the game right now as much as I can. Um I find media, I find that natural. I find uh chatting about the game and about uh I, I did some color commentating uh kind of job shadowing with tsn a couple weeks ago before the before the shutdown and then uh did tsn trade center two two years in a row for uh um for for tsn on a on a day that is very physically demanding but it's a really cool resume to kind of build so so we'll, we'll see it might it might take me going and working for a team for a year uh you know, past teams I played on, there's maybe some some chances, maybe a, maybe a new team. I know Seattle will be around in a couple of years, and uh, Vegas might be looking for some guys. So, 
so that there's there's some opportunity there to to do that i might do that for sure and we actually had another question come in um so it's from mike and mike wants to know um just a two-part question who's your favorite teammate and um who was the most underrated player that you've ever played with or against uh my favorite teammate is uh i, I gotta say my my I've had so many great teammates. Um, Jordan Tutu was one. Uh, Vern Fiddler, Scott Hartnell, Joffrey Lupul. Um, you know, uh, but I would say because I'm older and because I was really loving the game and acknowledging that it's not around forever, uh, my St. Louis Blues experiences were great. So Alex Steen, Jaden Schwartz, Robert Bertuzzo, um, these, th those three guys in general, Kevin Shattenkirk, those guys, uh, just tons of great experiences, winning games and, and, you know, spilling blots and, and sweat for each other the last, you know, three, three years of my career. I played more games with St. Louis blues in three years than I did anywhere. So, uh, th those were great moments. Those are great teammates. Um, and then the second part of the question, who who did I battle against the most? Is that uh, most, question? Most underrated player that you've played against or with? Oh, my most. Oh, okay. Uh, underrated is, that's a great question, but um, for like <laughs> a guy like Jaden Schwartz is, is a guy that is, is very, very underrated because of where he plays and because he doesn't get the limelight of, of, doing he's not on he's not on highlights doing things ryan o'reilly i have not played with him but he is he he it does get the recognition he does now actually after con Smythe. but but um uh underrated the pareko is underrated um because he's he, you know he's again these markets create these false like um if you play in a b or c market a guy like Alexander Barkov, for example, if he played in Toronto, like uh, Matthews would have 70 goals. Like it's things like, you know what I mean? Like, um, uh, and, and then like older guys, like, uh, yeah, there's, there's been, I played with Alexei Kovalev, who was, who was a freak. He was so good. Uh, played with Yager, played with, um, you know, Kimo Timonen was a guy that was incredible. It was an it was an insane hockey player. Shane Doan was was a player and a worker. Probably didn't get as much recognition if he played somewhere else. So I don't know. This list off a bunch of guys, but <laughs> definitely. I hope that answers your question, Mike. Um, yeah, uh, for me, Scotty. Um, one of the things we talked about before we jumped on is that you've had actually experience. Um, Kind of training alongside uh, some MLB guys and guys that are involved in professional baseball. So, what was that experience like? And in terms of training, how translatable is that? Again, we talked about being an overall athlete. How translatable are sort of the training methods of baseball into hockey or hockey into baseball? Yeah, I moved to California ten years ago now. I think um, the year I got here. Um, I, I started working out at a facility owned by Scott Boris, who in the baseball world is 
uh, or in sports in general, he's, he's one of the most powerful agents there, there is. And, you know, strictly baseball, but I worked out at this facility. Um, my summertime would be, you know, the offices would be during the season. My, my office, we, we wouldn't overlap, but, um, uh, the year of the lockout, I had an opportunity in 2012 to start training with the baseball guys. I worked out with Eric Cole. I was working out with Matt Harvey. I was working out on a, uh, um, who else was there? Uh, a couple of younger kids that played in San Diego. Anyway, there was probably 10 of us. Now, my workouts were a lot different, but our warmups were the same. Um, it was, you know, it was, a, it, they were, they were always active warmups. It would start like, uh, you would get your body warm. You would do some stretching. You would do a little foam rolling. And not that I think that that's completely necessary, but we would always start out on a, on a track. Now we would do movement exercise and it would be repetitious. And I would consistently be like, guys, really again, like you don't switch it up, but it's the purpose of it is to move and to create these natural movements that become so natural that the moment this baseball gets hit at you it is a reaction like you just know how to move like efficiently so that was the purpose of it all uh was was efficient movement um in uncontrollable you know situations so uh that was that in hockey and in baseball was a lot alike um the way i trained in hockey was for um energy outbursts so it was a lot of like anabolic training where it would be 40 to 50 seconds of high intense stuff uh, with like a minute, two minute rest and then back at it again, where baseball was this like strength building speed work, um, a lot of explosive training like med ball tosses or um, like powerful, like, you know, heavy explosion dumbbell presses and chin ups. And so, where I would try to do and because I would try to get strong, but I would do 12 to 15 reps where they would, you know, rack on weights on their waist and, and do chin-ups and do six max explosion, like max out, you know what I mean? So um, my, my program would be a little bit different, but the approach to being better and having a, having a, a program and, a, you know, having someone overlook you doing the correct movements, uh, you implementing these movements into what you do during the game, not just doing them just to get through them, like kind of realize, like asking questions, like, why am I, you know, why are we going to go from that to that to that? And he's like, well, because in hockey, you, you do this movement and then you're forced to back check, which is, you know, for your lungs. And then when you get in the back check, you're going to be tired and we need you to, to now build strength again. Cause you're going to have to, like your legs will have to, hold up now that your lungs can so anyway learning that whole process uh, I, I was fortunate these trainers were smart they work with great baseball athletes and uh i you know it was a, a big reason why i um i stayed so durable and got to play so so long was was uh was having trainers yeah for sure definitely so I think we're uh, close to wrapping it up. So uh, that's about it for me. So Ryan, uh, did you have anything else before we wrap it up? No, um, just uh, obviously thanks for coming on. You know, we appreciate your time. Um, 
the only other thing I guess I would ask is, you know, the next trip you make it back to Newfoundland, are you going to come in the PSA and show some of our athletes how to work out? For sure. Show them how to hit some home runs too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that guys. I would love it. I've seen your facilities. Awesome. I know you guys put a lot of effort into it and uh, you know, we'll get that hopefully up and running here again soon. So good. No, we appreciate the time, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I had fun. Perfect. Thanks again, Scotty. And thanks for everybody that watched. Uh, you guys can find this on Facebook and uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks again, Scotty. Cheers. Yeah. See you, buddy. See you, boys. See you guys.